Hi everyone, my name is Walter Sweat uh, from Estadia where I am their CTO. I'd like to welcome you to today's edition of Walter's World, the podcast series. If uh, you would like to watch any of our earlier podcasts, uh, please look at any place where you would normally look for your podcast services such as Spotify, Apple Podcasts, or Google Podcasts. Today, I'm delighted to have uh, join me Kevin Hansen, who is the CTO for the Microfocus Government Solutions Group. Kevin, how are you doing today? No, oh, I'm doing great, Walter. Thank well, you. I really appreciate you taking the time to, to be here with us today. Yeah, absolutely an honor. Thank you. Thank you. So, Kevin, how long have you been with Microfocus? Oh, I guess it's going on 25 years now. Um with the last 20 or so uh, in the government group. Okay. So in the government group specifically, can you kind of describe what your organization does as part of the bigger micro-focus picture? What is your major focus? Yeah, sure. appreciate that, Walter. Um, micro-focus government solutions is a dedicated team to our, you know, federal, state, county, and local governments. Um you know, we manage the business uh, for microfocus of, of the government business. So that's across enterprise DevOps, hybrid IT operations, security risk and governance, and uh, data analytics uh, software portfolios. Okay, super. Wow, that covers a large area. Yeah, certainly. Yeah, Kevin, I would have to think uh, when you consider uh, public versus private enterprises and organizations, that there have to be some unique challenges that you see, especially for the government-related environments related to technology. Could you talk a little bit about what you see for the organizations with whom you work, what their specific overriding challenges are? Yeah, thanks for that, Walter. Um, you know, I think it does vary a bit between, uh, you know, the federal government and state and local governments. Um, you know, across the federal government, there's a big issue with the sustainment costs of their mission critical applications. Um, you know, so the challenge there is really about reining in what's almost $100 billion in federal IT spending. Um, it's a challenge for Congress. Um, I think last year, the Government Accountability Office released the report where they went out and assessed uh, 98 large, you know, mission critical applications across the federal government and found that the sustainment costs um, were, you know, racking up about 80% of wow. that IT federal spending. Um, so it's a significant challenge for agency CIOs to, you know, both run and sustain the mission uh, as well as try to reduce these costs as they modernize their systems. For the state and local agencies, you know, the pandemic's just been devastating to their budgets. You know, I heard recently, just on average across the states, their revenues are going to be down 20%. So as they look to address uh, some of the challenges with their legacy applications, many of which we, we all kind of watched in real time, uh, the challenges with those, you know, the, the ones we, we still hear about are the unemployment insurance applications. Um, you know, it's been hard to do uh, verification of identities, uh, registration of new unemployed uh, insurance, and then, you know, issue uh, issue checks and, and uh, 
support to those folks, um, knowing that we're delivering those checks to the people who need it and not fraudsters who are coming in and trying to capitalize on, you know, on the crisis. So um, I think both across federal and, and, and state, you know, there's significant business challenges above and beyond just, you know, the sustainment challenges with the legacy systems. Oh, that certainly makes sense. Uh, this has been such a challenging last almost year now that having to respond to things that perhaps they've never had to before, I'm sure it's presented innumerable challenges that uh, have made it quite challenging for them. Yeah, absolutely. Um, you know, while while this is happening, of course, you know, most of your workers are now working remotely. Yep. Um, you know, which creates a whole nother layer of obstacles to to tackle some of these challenges. Well, talking about that, and you know, as you look at how governments have had to respond differently, are there some best practices that you can think of that governmental leaders can use from a technology perspective to address these particular areas? Absolutely. Um, you know, first, I think it starts with the recognition that you can't continue to do the same things and expect different outcomes. Um, so, you know, we need to change the approach. We need a more pragmatic and measured approach that is going to address the cost challenges and reduce mm -hmm. the sustainment costs, um, are going to address some of the risks associated with the current infrastructures and applications and really deliver, you know, a faster time to value so that you're able to, you know, scale and support, uh, you know, in a more rapid fashion, changing requirements around citizen services. So, um, you know, as part of application rationalization planning, you really need to perform detailed legacy application assessments. You need to fully understand, uh, you know, all the dependencies and components of these applications so that you can, again, pragmatically, you know, start to modernize them, you know, not as a whole, but as you're able to, and uh, as you're minimizing the risk in doing that activity. That certainly makes sense. Um, so when we talk about the, the rationalization and looking at efforts of migration, what are, to you, Kevin, or what are the major benefits that your government see, government customers see after they look at using microfocus as migration uh, opportunity? Great, great question. Um, you know, I can't emphasize enough the impact of leveraging data analytics mm -hmm. on your legacy application data sets. As far as impacting mission outcomes, that, that delivers the most promise and that's the biggest benefit. So, um, you know, incorporating data analytics uh, planning around your legacy application modernization, it, it, you know, is the sky's the limit as far as the benefits you can achieve there um, to mission outcomes. Um, you know, there are also other benefits. I mean, obviously we talked about the ability to reduce costs or the need to reduce costs. So, you know, taking these applications and re-hosting them or re-platforming on in the cloud, for example, drastically reduce the costs associated with these. And, and that's an enormous benefit because you can start taking the savings from that operational money and applying that towards data analytics exactly. or towards other types of modernization. So, um, and, and that helps, of course, over the long haul, mitigate those risks that are associated 
with those legacy applications, whether that's you know highly specialized operators and, and developers, or um, you know dependencies on the legacy infrastructure. Kevin, we at Stadia feel the same that being able to work with data in ways that you never really were able to before just completely opens up new possibilities for uh, organizations. So I'm 100% in sync with you on that. Uh, excellent. I mean, it's it's amazing what can be achieved. To your point, um, you know, whether it's making the application more efficient to users. Mm -hmm. So they're clicking less and having to do less within the application to accomplish what they want, or, you know, more directly to the mission, you know, performing predictive analytics so you can reduce outages um, either on the network or, or for other uh, devices and equipment that you're managing. Um, so your quality of service can go up drastically. It's, it's, it's phenomenal. It's the antithesis of keeping doing things the way you've always been doing them, isn't it? You That's really right. start to look at doing things in a different way so that you serve your constituencies, whoever that happens to be, in a better way. It's, it's transformative if you embrace it. Agree, agree. You mentioned cloud. Um, are you seeing that there are more governmental organizations who are considering cloud today than there were two or three years ago? Absolutely. Uh, in fact, it's really, you know, cloud adoption in government's really ramped up. Um, I think that's, you know, certainly because some of these cost benefits, but the capabilities in the cloud, um, you know, over the last five to 10 years really have exponentially uh, evolved to a point where, you know, we can now uh, exceed, you know, capabilities that we had on-prem. And really through the use of shared services in the cloud, which, you know, is an area in government that we've talked about for a long time, being able to leverage shared services across government agencies to make them more efficient. Um, that's been difficult to do because of the various, you know, different missions out there and different, obviously different infrastructure they have. But with cloud infrastructure, um, those services can be shared and leveraged, you know, which really makes the government more efficient. The cloud is so much more of a robust alternative, in my opinion. Now, I can't say that it's, we can't say it's not your grandfather's cloud, but it's maybe your father's <laughs> cloud that uh, you're not having to worry about. Things have really changed, and uh, the capability that there is there today is just amazing to me. Yeah, it, it is incredible. Um, you know, just from a performance standpoint, you know, uh, the number of cores that a VM can support in the cloud is staggering, you know, which gives you, you know, performance and throughput that just wasn't there five to 10 years ago. <laughs> Absolutely. Um, talking about grandfathers, um, have you found that there's been a challenge with uh, retiring resources and governmental customers? How has that been an impact as people have looked at alternatives? It's been a huge challenge. Um, you know, we talk about these large critical mainframe applications. Well, in order to sustain these, um, you know, a lot of the development resources and system operators and programmers um, have simply retired in government, um, forcing government agencies to bring them back out of retirement um, under contract. Um, and that's really just to keep the lights on, um, just a minimal number of resources to, to keep the lights on. 
So when changes and requirements come or, or you know, the crisis, uh, a crisis comes along such as COVID that requires, you know, changes to those programs, uh, a, a increase in scalability and demand for those, that type of processing, um, you know, it's a, it's a real bottleneck that hit us uh, this summer. So uh, it's a real challenge. There's, there's significant risk associated with losing those resources just to keep the lights on. So um, it's probably the biggest concern, I would say, for sustaining these applications. Agreed. Um, so on the other side of that scale, we talked about retiring resources and doing things the way they've always been done before and just trying to keep a minimum set of capabilities. If we look at the other side of the spectrum, are you finding government customers starting to be interested in newer technologies? I'll throw out uh, microservices as an example. Is that something that people are starting to recognize as offering them huge advantages moving forward? Yeah, absolutely. Um, you know, you, you mentioned microservices specifically, and I think there there's certainly some areas in government where they're they're taking advantage of that. Um, the challenge is getting the applications that have you know the most value within your organization these these critical mainframe applications into the cloud where you can start to expose microservices um, in meaningful ways ways that are going to impact the mission or or make citizen services better. So you know we're we're early on in that adoption, um, but the interest is there uh, very much. The interest is there and and and. You know, I, I talked about shared services um, in that context, you know, as applications and data move into the cloud, you know, I think the microservices that are going to be available across different agencies, across boundaries that, um, you know, impede on the sharing of services today, um, go away. And so, you know, developing catalogs of microservices that your, your agency uh, counterparts can take advantage and share across all of the government, um, you know, that's going to be a huge impact and an improvement uh, to the efficiency of government. Absolutely. To me, it's kind of a best of both worlds scenario. If you take the, the logic that makes up these governmental systems that have been around for 20, 30, 40 years, um, they work. And they define, you know, what organizations really can actually do. Being able to combine that with newer technologies, even if you're staying in COBOL, microservices, containerization, to me, it's the best of both worlds. And being able to find that combination uh, sure seems like it helps people. I'm so glad you said that, Walter. I mean, the resiliency of these applications is in, is unmatched, right? Um most of these applications have been around a long time. They're proven. The reason they're still here is because they're so resilient. You know, exactly. They're so good at what they do. Um, so being able to take that logic and leverage that on new platforms in containers, um, you know, exposing them as microservices, I, I couldn't agree more. Uh, you know, that, that's really the, the path that we have to go down. I, I agree. I agree. So as people look at, alternatives. I'm always curious about this. The organizations to whom you speak, do they tend to look at the alternative of big bang migration versus a phased migration as one having a, a bigger advantage than another? 
There's certainly still a mixed bag out there as far as approaches. Um, we do still see some big bang migrations, um, but one thing never changes with those, and that is the cost that is associated with those. Um, you know, we're in the billions of dollars when we're talking large government legacy applications. Um, you know, there's not a good track record around big bang migrations in government. Um, so we'll see how those how those evolve. Um, but where we're seeing a lot of traction now and, and a lot of folks, you know, really tying uh, migration to, you know, cloud adoption is uh, taking a more pragmatic phased approach. You know, they're looking for the least cost, least risk and the you know, fastest time to value that they can achieve for these applications. And, and it's forcing them to look at all other alternatives. And, and that's where you know, MicroFocus is, is uh, standing by ready to help. Um, you know, we provide tools that can help them identify, first and foremost, identify kind of the blueprint of the application so they know what they need to modernize and then be very pragmatic, uh, very incremental from a cost standpoint, and, and certainly taking the least risk by moving and modernizing those applications um, in the new environment. Sure makes sense to me to understand where you actually are starting from and a pragmatic approach of deciding how you're going to structure it um, is has proven to be a key to success, I feel, over the years. Well, and honestly, you know, it gives you that realistic visibility into the project so that you always know where you're at in that modernization. Exactly. Sometimes these big bangs, you know, there's there's so many parallel streams going on um, and, and you're rewriting a lot of the application. Maybe you're introducing new COTS components. Um, you know, it, it's, it's kind of a mess from a project management standpoint or from a business leader standpoint to be able to report on the progress of those big bang projects. Whereas if you're, you know, being really incremental about that modernization um, and addressing the risk, you're getting, you're going to get that visibility that you need to then report accurately about that prog program. So when it comes to success, absolutely, Walter, I, I, I agree with that. It's a lot easier to turn a thousand small ships than one big battleship, right? That's right. <laughs> 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 so, Kevin, I'm going to ask you to put on your Swami hat. Uh, I'll ask you this question. If if modernization is a journey and you're you're helping your customers to find their roadmap, what do you think this is all going to look like five years from now? Uh, that's a that's an exciting question, I think, from where I sit. Um, you know, if we think about from a technology standpoint, just take a step back and look around. I, I mean, we're. Most of us are working from home. Um, you know, you can order food from from restaurants and grocery stores. It all gets delivered. Um, you know, you do that on your phone. That stuff hasn't been around that long. Um, you know, I think Uber Eats launched in, in 2015. Um, you know, Amazon received approval to deliver food um, and, and uh, other items using drones. Mm -hmm. They received their approval from the FAA recently. <laughs> Uh, you know, it's incredible where we're at. So, um, you know, SpaceX is, is landing rockets, you know, on pads in the middle of the ocean. It's incredible. So, you know, as I relate this to, 
you know, the business of government IT and where we're headed. Um, you know, I think about data analytics and I think about Internet of Things and 5G and how we can leverage the data sets, these valuable legacy application data sets um, in totally new ways. Um, and, and get to a point where we're able to release functionality, um, really innovative citizen services much, much faster and with, with high quality. Um, so, you know, the, again, the, the horizon's uh, kind of expansive in this area, you know, depending on what your mission is and the data sets you have and, and the services that you're able to take advantage of in the next five years, you know, we've, we've uh, got quantum computing right around the corner. You know, how is that going to enhance uh, our ability to, to process transactions and uh, manipulate and analyze the data more quickly and efficiently so that we can deliver services faster with more quality to, to citizens? Um, it's exciting. And I think we're already starting to see some, some benefits of that, you know, whether it's uh, interacting with government applications using two-factor authentication with your smartphones. Mm -hmm. Um, you know, more and more web services and, and mobile applications uh, coming out to the market. So we're, we're already starting to see some of that. Um, but as agencies are able to reduce their sustainment costs associated with these applications and take that savings and apply it towards these new technologies, uh, you know, we're going to start rapidly seeing innovative new services being deployed by government agencies. So, uh, it's an exciting time. Uh, it's certainly not going to be boring, is it? <laughs> <laughs> it, it? It feels like it's accelerating, if anything else, Walter. So I would agree with you. <laughs> so, Kevin, if any of our listeners wanted to reach out to you or Microfocus Government Solutions, how, how could they best do that? Yeah, um, probably the easiest way is to just send an email to modernize at microfocusgov.com. Um, of course, people are always welcome to email me as well, kevin.hansen at microfocusgov.com. Um, and we'll take it from there. Fantastic. Any parting thoughts you'd like to share with us? Anything that we didn't address that is near and dear to your heart? You know, I I, I guess I one thing I didn't really address too much is um, how important it is now to align your enterprise DevOps initiatives, you know, usually in the distributed area with your legacy application mm -hmm. uh, development effort. Um, you know, too, for too long, we've had siloed environments that have made it difficult to collaborate and, and, and difficult to normalize processes and, and language and, and everything else across your all your development applications. Um, so, you know, as, kind of as a best practice, I would throw this in as well. Um, take a step back and look at how you can align your mainframe environments, your legacy application development environments with your DevOps initiatives that you, you're, you're probably engaged in in other areas. And I think when you're, when you're able to do that, you're gonna realize uh, that there's a faster time to value approach there in modernizing uh, those applications. 
focusing on DevOps is something that we do at Estadia. So we're firm believers in it as well and have seen huge benefits for organizations that can bring the mainframe DevOps world into that distributed or cloud DevOps world. So I am 100% in agreement with you. Yeah. And, and, you know, that's why you guys are such a great partner, Walter. Um, you know, we're in alignment on a lot of these things, but I think most importantly, our approaches are similar uh, when we, when we uh, go to work with our customers. Indeed. Indeed. Kevin, thank you so very much for taking the time to be with us today. It was a pleasure as always, sir. No, my pleasure, Walter. Thank you for having me. Thank you. And for uh, everyone else, if you have any questions, please reach out to us at www.estadia.com. Uh, and as I mentioned before, if you wanted to look at some of the previous podcasts or upcoming ones, uh, Spotify, Apple Podcast, and Google Podcast, uh, you will find them there. Thank you all so much for taking the time to join us today. And we look forward to seeing you on our next podcast. Have a great rest of your day.